I think you'll agree with me when I say this, we are living in a culture today that on the whole seeks to deny what we call absolute truth. In fact, the only absolute that many of these folks are willing to, select, to, to accept is that there are no absolutes. Now let that work in your head for a second. There are absolutely no absolute truths except that one. Now think about it. Think about what you've heard. Maybe you've heard it on television. Maybe you've heard it in, on the news. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard it in the classroom. Maybe you've heard it, not this, these classrooms here, but maybe you've heard it, this idea of, well, you've got to live out your truth. You know? That, that's like saying, well, that's your reality. No, reality is reality. And truth is truth. There is no your truth versus my truth. Right now, the, 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 uh, the, big, the big subject that seems to be hanging over everybody right now are the issues dealing with, with lesbians, gays, and transgender, and so forth. And one of the things that, that is being pushed with that is that, well, I can be whatever I want to be. To the extent that now, grammar's not even safe. I have my pronouns. Now, I'm not trying to make a mock. Can, can I tell you, a lot of these folks, and I say this with all the love in my heart, there's a lot of these folks that have, that have mental illness, and they need help. They need help. Now, some of it is just downright evil, and it's a decision. And, and y'all, I do my best to be sweet and to be kind, and I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but at some point, the pastors of this nation need to step up and biblically cry out against this foolishness. I, I, y'all, I don't have the time or the mental image, in, the mental, um, see, I'm proving it. I don't have the mental, no, I have capacity. <laughs> wow. All right, just because of that, I'm using big words the whole rest of the service. I do not have the mental acuity. How about that? The energy to every time I see somebody go through a list of 47 pronouns hoping I pick the right one. Guess what? You're you and I'm me. How about that? Are you mad, Andy? I'm not mad. But somebody's got to say what this is. Situational ethics. Good night. Scientific principles aren't even safe anymore, y'all. In fact, we've been holding on to a theory and teaching it as facts that violates the second law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics is everything when left to itself gets worse. It tends to a state of disorder that completely flies in the face of evolution. Evolution tells you everything's getting better. Wrong. Ask the people of Atlanta if things are getting better. Last night they had a riot. It wasn't a protest, y'all. It was a riot. Protests are people carrying signs and marching. When you start burning stuff and breaking in and looting, that's a riot. And by the way, let me just say this. I don't care what color you are. You break the law, it's a riot. Worked up this morning. Here's the crazy thing, y'all. 
If I'm lying, I'm dying, y'all. I read an article in which someone advanced this proposition. Math is discriminatory. Now, I'm not saying you got to like math, but it's not discriminatory. I got news for you. If you're straight, two plus two equals four. And if you're gay, two plus two still equals four. Whatever color you are, two plus two equals four. I don't even get, I read the article, I, I was dumber when I was done. I lost some of my mental capacity. <laughs> and this has even found its way into theological circles. What does the Bible say about this? Well, it depends. God doesn't depend on anything. If God says something is right, it's right. And if God says something is wrong, it's wrong. And if the onus is on us to get where God is. Anyone who is morally and intellectually honest, even if they don't agree with us, if they're morally and intellectually honest, they, they'll admit that they, along with the rest of the sane thinking world, is desperately seeking absolute truth. You want to fill this church up? Find people that are looking for truth and give it to them. Give it to them. And don't be wishy-washy about it. Be kind, be loving, be scriptural, but don't be wishy-washy. Do you really believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Ready? Yes. Well, it depends. No, it doesn't depend on anything. It's either yes or no, and the only answer is yes. See. Hmm. In John chapter 3, we see an encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, almost certainly a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, some people give, they, they throw some shade on Nicodemus because they met at night. Don't do that. It just says that he came to him by night. Jesus could have just as easily said, Nicodemus, I'm busy all day today. Come see me tonight. We try to find fault in people. Don't do that. Nicodemus was there, and Jesus was there, and that's all that matters. Okay? That, that's almost akin to us saying, yeah, I'll tell you, they came to the Lord when everything went south, didn't they? Well, that's a good time to come to the Lord. I don't care when you come. I just care that you come. You know? But anyway, he comes to Jesus, and he, he has some legitimate questions and some, some serious inquiries, and Jesus, in this exchange, hits Nicodemus with a series of undeniable, absolute truths that forced him, forced Nicodemus, to a moral and spiritual crossroad, whether he wanted to go there or not. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning. There's seven of them. Don't be afraid by that. Some of them are kind of short. I know what you're thinking. Well, Andy, you only need one to go long. Well, remember, we talked about Utica Sunday night. Stay away from windows. You'll be all right. All right? Absolutes everyone should know. Absolutes that everyone should know. Father,
oh, I need your help. I don't fear the content, Lord. I fear messing it up. I fear coming short of your your plan for this time. So, Lord, would you just take control? Would you speak to hearts? Lord, there may be somebody here or watching online that is in desperate need of the absolute truth of the gospel. I pray they'd hear it, they'd receive it, and they'd come to Jesus today. I pray for Christians that need to be reminded of absolute truth and our responsibility to tell others. Lord, would you take this message and use it for your honor and glory, and lifting up Jesus is what we want to do today. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen and amen. Number one, there's absolutely an afterlife. You may not know this, but every one of us in here is an eternal creature. We have no end. Now, we change forms, but we have no end. We are all going to spend forever somewhere. Every one of us. Every one of us. Now, there's only two possibilities presented in the Bible, and I only accept those possibilities presented in the Bible. That is where I am informed regarding the afterlife. Okay? I do not accept, I do not, and I'm not trying to be unkind, I don't accept nirvana because that's not in the Bible. I don't accept purgatory. That's not in the Bible either. I don't accept some intermediate state of bliss. That's not in the Bible. There's only two possibilities, and that's heaven and hell. We will spend eternity somewhere, and it will either be in heaven or in hell. You're in John chapter 3. Just buckle up and stay with me, okay? Here's the first possibility, heaven. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If we've got to choose heaven or hell, which does that sound more like? Heaven. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're talking about heaven. 3, 15, uh, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. That's talking about heaven. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In this exchange, Jesus, Jesus made it very clear to Nicodemus, there is absolutely a heaven. There is absolutely a heaven, but friend, there's also absolutely a hell. John 3.15, that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. That's not just talking about death, it's talking about hell. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not what? Perish. John 3.17, for God sent not his son into the world to what? Condemn. Does that sound like heaven or hell to you? Sounds like hell to me, to condemn the world. John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not what? condemned he that believeth not is what condemned already john three thirty six. Uh, later on john the baptist actually follows up on this he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not the son shall not see life but the wrath of god abideth on him so what do we see from just this first point there is absolutely an afterlife in john chapter 3 jesus makes it very clear there is absolutely a heaven and there is absolutely a hell so anybody that's unclear on that that is an absolute truth with which you need to wrestle this morning you're going somewhere forever heaven or hell number two there was a time that this was not something that really needed to be stated in southwest Virginia, but, but it kind of does now, and we're seeing it more and more. Number two, there's absolutely a God. You'd be hard-pressed to find an atheist in Withful years ago. They're here now. What's an atheist? An atheist that it contends that there is no God. 
And agnostic is a little softer. There may be a God, but we can't know. Either one leads to the same place. I want you to know there is absolutely a God. The Bible proclaims there's a God. Creation proclaims there's a God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Human reason proclaims there is a God. I would submit to you that if you're using your brain even a fraction of the way that God intended, you have to come to the conclusion that there is a God. So what are you saying, Andy? I'm saying evolution forces us to, to suspend all of what we understand about reality. Right. I'm saying that these evolutionists, I don't care how brilliant they are and how many degrees that they have, if they refuse to accept that anything with a design has to have a designer, then they have willfully, willfully put away some of their mental capacity. I'll tell you something else. Your conscience proclaims there's a God. There's no such thing as a true atheist. Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear. We are built with a spiritual DNA that forces us to come to grips with the fact that we have a creator. And to claim to be an atheist, you have to completely ignore it. You have to suppress it. You have to push it over here. But I'm telling you, there's no such thing as an atheist. Everybody in their heart of hearts knows there's somebody to whom we answer. I wish I could park here, but it's a Sunday morning, and I have 15 minutes left before y'all start walking out. There's absolutely an afterlife. There's absolutely a God. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of who? God. Verse 5. Uh, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of who? All right, verse number uh, 16, for who? So love the world. Verse 17, for who? God sent not his Son into the world. Uh, how about verse 18? He that believeth on, on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of who? Jesus makes it very clear there's a God. There's a God. So here's some absolutes everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know there's an after, absolutely an afterlife, and there's absolutely a God. And number three, that God is absolutely righteous. He's perfect. He's without blemish. He's without spot. Sin has never touched him. Look at verse 33. John the Baptist is now speaking. Let's go back for a little bit of context. Verse 27. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He transcends. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. And listen to verse 33. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that, listen to this, God is what? True. Everything about him is true. There's no wrong in him. There's no lie in him. He is absolutely 
perfectly righteous. Perhaps John had this exchange on his mind when he wrote his first epistle, John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is absolutely righteous. There's some absolutes we need to know, folks. There's absolutely an afterlife. There's absolutely a God, and that God is absolutely righteous. Now, here's one you're not going to enjoy. We have absolutely disqualified ourselves from heaven. We have absolutely disqualified ourselves from heaven. Now, this is the tough one for a lot of people because we have this tendency, and it's a normal one. It's a natural one. But remember, what's natural does not mean it's noble. It can be natural and be wrong, right? Some animals, it's natural for them to eat their young. If you did it, it'd be wrong, right? Yes, it would. It would. You may be tempted at times, but no, don't do it. But we, we, tend, to, we tend to, our natural inclination is to compare ourselves to other people. Well, I've never been involved in a riot. My soul, preacher, I don't even cuss. I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with those that do. Preacher, I, I even gave up Coca-Colas. I'm pretty good. No, you're not. Neither am I. Neither am I. We have all absolutely disqualified ourselves from heaven. You see, our absolutely righteous God cannot and will not overlook sin. If he did, he wouldn't be righteous. And our sin has condemned us to hell. (laughs) But Andy, I'm just not that bad. The standard is perfection. The standard is perfection. Imagine, if you would, that this was full, cold, had not yet been opened, and Brother Richard here is just thirsting like there's no tomorrow. He knows that Clean, fresh water is kept in here. And he asked me, man, if you got an extra one, can I, have, can I have a bottle of water? I'm just parched. I mean, I may die right here in church. Well, of course. Okay. Richard, let me get you. Let me get you some water. I'll even open it for you. <coughs> man, excuse me. Here you go. He's probably good. He's probably like, I'll just die, thank you. (laughs) But wait a minute. If you were to do some kind of a lab something, there goes my mental ability again, some kind of experiment on this, and you were to analyze it, comparatively speaking, the contents of that sneeze would be very, very small compared to water. The vast majority of it is still pure, clean water, right? But if I were to ask you if this were the case, is this water clean or is it spoiled? It's spoiled, right? It doesn't really matter how many times I sneeze into it. One time's enough. Why is it that we think that God is expected to receive our righteousness that's spoiled? Isaiah told us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. I'll not get into what that means, but it's bad. 
All our righteousness, my, my efforts to please God, my efforts to, to win him over, my efforts to merit him, they are completely and utterly spoiled. Because the fact is, we're not talking about me, I'm for the most part pure. I just got a few little imperfections. That's not true of me and it's not true of you either. Anybody in here that would honestly claim to be a better Christian than Paul? And Paul said, I know that in my flesh there's no good thing. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I'm the worst. When somebody said, Paul, you're the worst, they actually meant it. Paul was the worst. Paul was a terrorist. By definition, Paul, before he was saved, was a terrorist. And he understood his sinfulness. Just not that bad. If I cheated on this dear precious woman, would you think less of me? You should. And by Jesus' reckoning, I have. What? Jesus said, if you look at somebody that's not your spouse with lust in your heart, you committed adultery already. That's what Jesus said. He's an authority on morality, is he not? So guess what? I'm an adulterer according to Jesus' reckoning. And I dare say every man in here is. You ever take a paycheck and not do your best work? Done that too. I try not to, but it happens. You know what that makes me? A thief. You ever put anything ahead of God? Some person, some activity, some, some, some desire? Guess what? You're an idolater. Ever slipped up and said something you shouldn't? You're a blasphemer. So am I. You ever hated somebody in your heart? According to First John, you're a murderer. Here's one. As good as God's been to us, have you ever desired something more than what he gave you or you wanted to take it from somebody else and bring it into your life because you didn't think you got as good as you deserved? Guess what? That's called covetousness. If we're honest with ourselves, at the very least, we're adulterous, thieving, murderous, idolatrous, malcontents. Now you tell me why I should get into heaven. You tell me why a holy, righteous God should look at me and see anything but disqualification. He wouldn't any more than any of you would drink this water. The fact is, we have absolutely disqualified ourselves from heaven. Did Jesus say that? He did. Verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says it again in verse 7. We are so bad. We are so spoiled. There's nothing to be retained. We have to be born again. Nothing in this flesh can save us. Born of water, we can't be saved. We must be, as he said, born of the Spirit. That's how much we are a complete gut job. 
But I'm glad to tell you, Jesus is a mighty good carpenter. He knows what he's doing. We chose to rebel against God and his holiness. There's not anybody in here that can say truthfully that they've ever, they've ever accidentally sinned or been forced to sin. Every sin I've ever committed in 47 years, I've done so because I chose to. Yeah. Every sin. Yeah. Now listen to what he says in verse number, verse number uh, 19. And this is the condemnation. Why are we condemned? That light is coming to the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were what? Evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. And we've all been there. There's absolutely an afterlight. Life is either heaven or hell. There's absolutely a God, and that God is absolutely righteous, and we have absolutely disqualified ourselves from his heaven. I got good news for you, friend. God absolutely loves you and provided a way to be saved. Everything I've told you is true, and we're in bad shape. But God absolutely loves you. Do we deserve it? No. Verse 16, everybody knows it. For God so loved, so loved the world. What's the world? The world is everybody that ever has or ever would live. It's a different word than speaking of the world system. He doesn't love that, neither should we. But he loves the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved your God's a God of condemnation verse 17 speaks exactly the opposite he didn't come to condemn us he came to save us man's philosophy condemns Religion condemns. Academia condemns. Our best efforts condemn. But my Savior came that I might have life. You see, God took the sins that so so offend him, that so go against his righteousness. And the only time that God has ever touched sin was when he gathered it, And some 2,000 years ago, laid it on his son. And as they nailed him to that cross for six hours, Jesus hung between heaven and earth. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And God judged our sin. He beat his only darling begotten son. He poured out all of his wrath and all of his indignation. He poured it all out and Jesus hung there and absorbed the hell that we deserved. Because God loves us and provided a way to be saved. Absolutely. Two more. Believing Jesus is absolutely the only way to heaven. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't like flying. I don't enjoy it at all. I would be okay with flying if it wasn't so high. Like, like if we could fly at, at speeds like that on the ground. That comes with those dangers, but, but they don't bother me as bad for some reason. I'm the guy, crazy enough, crazy enough, I get a window seat usually. But you don't like to fly. Yeah, but I can close the window. I don't have to look out. But I get a window seat because when I fly, it's, it's, I don't get up. I don't want to walk. I want to buckle in, and I want to hunker down, and I want to endure this thing and get there alive. And if I sit by the window, then nobody's crawling over me to go to the bathroom and all that kind of thing. I am over there, and I am just praying the whole time. But I'm the guy that on takeoff, I've got the window open. And I think to myself, well, we're high enough to die now. My kids don't share that fear, and I'm glad of that. I don't want them to have my phobias. I don't want them to have my fears, except clowns. Everybody ought to be afraid of clowns. <laughs> I just got a feeling one of you going to come in tonight. Uh-huh. And <laughs> but let's say they did. Let's say that, let's say that, that Claire was afraid of flying. And we needed to fly somewhere because we ain't driving. And I sat her down and I said, listen, we're going to get there safely. The, you don't have to understand how aeronautics works. You don't have to understand lift and thrust and all of that. You don't have to understand the shape of the fuselage and the flaps on the wings. You don't have to understand the pilot and all that. All you need to know is statistically... It's the safest way to travel. And I'm telling you that if you get on that plane, we're going to get there safely, and you're going to have a great time. And here's all I'm asking you to do. Just believe me. Just get on the plane. You have my word on it. And if we don't make it, I failed you. I lied to you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, here's what he's saying to you right now. You don't have to understand everything the Bible says. You, you don't have to understand Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to understand everything about the hypostatic union and circumlocutory allocution and all that. So you, don't, you don't need that. Jesus is saying, all I'm asking you to do is believe me that I'll get you there. Don't trust in anything but me. Get on my plane, and you'll be safe. You don't have to pass a catechism. You don't have to earn a doctorate in theology. Once you're saved, you'll learn things from the Scripture, and that's great. But all you have to do is believe him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't deny that. And I've earned hell. But I've been told that you died for me and that you paid the price for my sin and that they buried you. And on the third day, you rose again. And the best way I know how, I'm getting on the plane with you. I'm going to trust you.
That's all I know to do. Guess what? If you mean it, you're saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what you must do to be saved. What must I do to be lost? The answer is nothing. Because verse, 17 tells, or verse 18 tells us, He that believeth not, I'm sorry, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you absolutely need to today. Before it's too late. One more. We that are saved have an absolute responsibility to give this message to others. Forget all the way I miswrote that. In fact, let's go to the so what. It was late. We absolutely have a responsibility to give others this message. Look at verse 26. They came unto John, said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness. Wait a minute, what's that? Bearest witness. What's that? That's telling others what you saw, what you know. Behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Now listen to his, 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 his posture here in verse 30. He must increase but I must decrease. And then in verse 36, don't forget, this is not Jesus speaking. It's John speaking. And what does he say? What does he say to everybody that's standing there listening? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What is our absolute responsibility to tell this world? He that believeth on the Son hath life. But he that believeth not on the Son hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So what? I think that's pretty clear. If you've never trusted Christ, I am not asking you to become a Baptist. I am not asking you to fill out a card. I'm not asking you to get in the water. I am asking you to realize that you need your Savior. And that if you don't have him, you will absolutely go to a damned afterlife called hell. You need Jesus. And I am begging you with all of my heart, don't worry about what people would think. Don't worry about people seeing you. Don't worry about being embarrassed. I am pleading with you if you've never trusted Christ Please, please let somebody take a Bible today and show you how you can know absolutely that you're going to heaven.
By the way, there's no reason to be embarrassed. Every one of us had to come the same way. We may not have walked an aisle. We may not have been in church, but we all had to admit we were sinners in need of a Savior, and we all had to humble ourselves before our righteous God and believe on Him. My soul, if anybody ever made fun of you for making a spiritual decision, I'd show them the door myself. This is a church that would rejoice that somebody's coming to the family of God. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. You have an absolute responsibility to get as many people as you can to go with you. All of this is out of John chapter 3. You want some absolute truth? There's seven of them. 